Um, but it's so great to be here among you today. I love this worship service. There's so much energy. Uh, there's so much life here. And I'm just grateful for the vitality of this church. Um, and uh, I just wanted to open our time today uh, together in prayer. So if you would join me, bowing your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this time together. We are grateful for this opportunity to join together in worship and to unpack uh, this very deep and very um, intense epistle that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Um, so I pray that you would um, speak through me, use my words to minister to your people today. And uh, I pray that you, you would use your spirit to speak your words to their hearts. In your son's name, amen. Uh, so if I could get the uh, slide with the scripture text up there. Um, so the text that we are unpacking today, we're exploring, is Ephesians chapter 4, 14 through 16 and 20, 22 through 28. I guess we have uh, 20 through 28 up there. Uh, and I, I suppose I'll just read it out loud uh, uh, just to begin our time together. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up into, in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the background to this text, which is a very, you know, it's a very behavior-oriented text, the whole background of the text to this point, Paul has been unpacking this really glorious message of salvation, which is truly cosmic in its dimensions. I mean, he talks about, you know, Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection uh, has smashed down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. He's made a new people, a new united people where there was formerly two divided people. Uh, he has brought this salvation by the power of his Holy Spirit uh, that is by grace through faith. It's no longer by works. It's all by grace and through faith. This glorious teaching. And then Christ has ascended and he's filled all things by the power of his Holy Spirit. I mean, this really tremendous cosmic vision of salvation. And what the glorious end of it all, uh, Paul tells us, is, is that the whole cosmos, the whole universe might be reconciled to God. That is the, that is the totality of what Christ has done. Um, in this work, by becoming incarnate among us, by living this perfect life, by dying this death on the cross, by being resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then ascending to the right hand of the Father. And, he sa and he, Paul says later on that Christ will return to judge the living and the dead, and in that moment will reconcile all things to God. And now we live in this interim moment, this moment in history, where it's kind of like a question mark. Like, what do we do now? You know, like Christ has ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's ruling all things. We have this promise. And now what? So Paul gives us this sort of therefore moment, right? It's like all this has happened. All this will happen. And now, therefore, what? And, and he says in, in verse 14, here's what you do. Become mature. 
No longer be like children tossed around on the waves. You know, uh, he says we must no longer be children. And then in verse 15, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head. And then verse 22, put away your former way of life. The old things are gone. The new has come. Live this way. Become mature. So what does this mean? What does this mean? The idea that we must become mature. We must no longer be children. It means, I think, in a word, responsibility. So there's a a great Czech playwright and author of the 20th century. I mean, a tremendous political statesman as well. Uh, He was part of one of the, you know, glorious people in the middle part of the 80s. I don't know how, how many of you actually remember this moment in the 80s when the Berlin Wall came down. There was pretty much universal rejoicing all around. This guy was right at the heartbeat of all of that in Czechoslovakia. His name was Václav Havel. And he said, the secret of man is the secret of his responsibility. All around him, he was surrounded on all sides by people who were not taking responsibility, who were not responsible, who, what he said was, they, had, they were characterized by what he called egoistic anthropocentrism. In other words, there was this sort of inward turning, this inward focus, and they, they saw themselves, the people that he was surrounded with saw themselves as masters of the universe who could do whatever they wanted to. Fundamentally, that is the, the attitude of someone who is not mature, right? What does it mean to be a child? What is, it means basically to see the world as fundamentally about you, uh, to sort of be at the center of the story, right? I mean, some of you know children, right? I mean, uh, it, it's, 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 a, it's actually kind of, when, when you are a child, it's kind of a, a cute attitude to have, right? It's like, it's like you, you're looking around the world, you're exploring the world, you're trying to figure it all out, and basically the story is kind of about you. But as you grow older, as you get older, you know, and you, and you start to move on this path towards maturity, that no longer becomes an attractive attitude, right? And when you meet people who are in their, their, uh, their late teens and 20s and 30s, you suddenly begin to realize, like, no, no, actually, the movement of your life needs to be about giving it away now. We need to figure out how to take responsibility in the places where God has placed us uh, so that we can, we can become mature. And that's what Paul is telling us needs to be the fundamental movement of the Christian life in this time between the times, before Christ has returned, but after all this glorious redemption has begun. And yet, when we look around at Western culture, all of the messaging is fundamentally opposite of that. Can you flip the slide to the uh, sprint one? So I, I came across this ad uh, not too long ago. It was really disturbing to me um, because it was, it was the Sprint commercial, right? And it's about their new unlimited data plan, right? I mean, it's a, it's a great, actually advertising a great product. It's a data plan. But the, the messaging that goes along with the ad is, is basically a guy standing, you know, kind of in this, this milling, buzzing crowd. And he says, I, uh, I need, no, I deserve the right to be unlimited, Right? And then this, this message pops up, I am unlimited. Right, um, So it's taking what is fundamentally a product, the data plan, the unlimited data plan, and it's migrating it to this sort of universal world and life view that is like basically fundamentally my orientation in the world is to make everything about me. Fundamentally, like the world is my stage upon which I project myself. I am the center of this story. I am what is important here, everything and everyone must serve me. Fundamentally, this is the attitude of the immature writ large across the human landscape. And all of our culture, if you th- the more you examine it, the more you, more you begin to unpack what's going on in Western culture, the more you realize this is the attitude that's basically being inculcated in us. 
Um, there's a great 20th century Catholic novelist named Walker Percy, and he wrote this fantastic essay called Message in a Bottle. And uh, he says in this essay, very acute analysis of a few books, and he says, bad books always lie. They lie most about the human condition. And I would just take that analysis and extend it further and say, in messaging generally, all uh, bad messages lie. They lie fundamentally about the human condition. What Paul is saying to us is that this message, the I am unlimited message, the message fundamentally of immaturity is completely incompatible with gospel life. A life that has been redeemed by Christ is swept up into this grand movement of what Jesus Christ has done on this world and is heading towards this glorious reconciliation of all things to God in Christ is fundamentally incompatible with this kind of messaging. What that life needs to be characterized by is a movement towards maturity, towards maturation, towards responsibility, towards ownership uh, of, of, the, of the reconciliation of a certain part of life. What God has given, us, has given us responsibility over to God. Fundamentally, the Christian life looks like stewardship. And what does this mean? I mean, how does this kind of play itself out? Paul, Paul talks about fundamentally, this is a life that needs to be characterized by, by speech that is truthful, that is transparent, that is life-giving. Right? That's fundamentally, first off, what Paul says. This is, this is, um, it, it's a matter of actually controlling our tongues, disciplining our tongues, so that the words that we speak are words that give life to other people, that empower other people, that, uh, that do not put people down, but build people up. Um, they're words that, that where we're trying to communicate the glorious redemption of Christ in very concrete and practical ways to other people that we are engaged with. And then secondly, a conduct that befits the message that we are speaking to people, right? So it's like, it's not just that I'm saying great words, it's that I am beginning to see my life by the power of the Holy Spirit conform to that message that I'm speaking, so Paul helpfully sums all this up in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we are called to be ministers of the reconciliation of God. That's a really, I mean, an enormous kind of task that we've been saddled with. But fundamentally, that's what this means. To become mature, to become responsible, to bring reconciliation. It means to become a minister, a servant of this reconciliation that has been wrought in Jesus Christ. So I thought that briefly we would take a look at somebody that I feel like has responded in this way. Uh, can you uh, take it? Yeah, slide over. Um, so there's a, a guy named Steve Garber who uh, runs this really incredible institute in D.C., which helps Christians and other people, not just Christians, but, um, but people who are interested in this idea of responsibility, think better about their vocations. And he wrote a fantastic book called Visions of Vocation, which I, I actually want to commend to you all uh, to, to look at. But he says he characterizes this idea of responsibility as knowing what you know about yourself and the world, what are you going to do? How will you respond? How will you become responsible? In other words, capable of response to the world in the place that God has placed you. And so here's just one example uh, that I want to highlight of a Christian who has done that, who has responded in just that way. So this is a guy named Gary Hagen. He uh, is the president of an organization called International Justice Mission. Perhaps some of you have heard of this organization. It's one of the most important organizations combating things like, like, like sexual, sexual uh, bondedness, bonded labor, human trafficking all over the world. They have uh, over 30 offices worldwide where they are doing this really important work of liberating people and combating injustice all over the world. Now, how did his life kind of get pushed off in this trajectory? Well, first off, 
he went through this incredible process of training. Uh, he, went, he went to Harvard as an undergraduate. Then he went to University, University of Chicago for law school, got this incredible training. And, and then he went off and started working for the, the U.S. Department of Justice, you know, kind of a conventional legal career. Um, and he had, I mean, a person of tremendous ambition um, and all of that. So at some point in 1994, um, he was assigned by the Department of Justice to serve with the UN uh, Department of Human Rights. And he was sent to Rwanda to investigate the genocide in Rwanda that happened there in 1994. Um, over uh, over uh, hundreds of thousands of people were, were murdered um, in truly brutal ways by machetes and other things like this um, over the course of just a month. Um, just a tremendous number of people slaughtered. And he spent time interviewing the victims and looking at looking at the remains of, uh, that, were, that were left there in the wake of this terrible genocide. And he came back after this project was over, I mean, just stunned and dazed. And uh, he got on the subway in D.C., and he was looking around at all these people, you know, reading newspapers and, and stuff, and he just wanted to stand up and say, what are you doing? What are we all doing? Why are we doing this? Like, look at what's going on in the world. There's all this terrible stuff happening. And as a result of that, he began to feel himself called into a position of responsibility. He had seen how he could trace the arc of how God had equipped him through his education, through his experience working in, working in law and so on, for this great work of, of, um, of combating human trafficking and injustice all over the world. And as he allowed himself to see the enormity of the, of the problem, he began to push further into it by the power of the Holy Spirit and to push back against the darkness, right? Now, I don't expect any of us to be Gary Hoggett. I mean, none of us are, right? I mean, we are, we are people who are, have not been, you know, uh, equipped in the same way necessarily. We are not placed in the same way. And yet, Hagen is a great example of someone who has listened to this call, right? He, is, he has heard this great message of, of redemption and reconciliation, and he has felt the tension of living between the times, and he has sought to be responsible in the field that God has placed him in. And all of us can do that in some way. In fact, uh, the way the Puritans, and I, my dissertation was on the Puritans, so I've spent a lot of time reading their stuff. The way the Puritans talked about this was that our vocation in the world, where God has placed us to work in the world, is part of our ongoing process of discovering the holiness of God working itself out in our lives. They called it vocational holiness. Okay? Um, so they, were, they, they, were, they said over and over again that the place that God has placed you in the world, doesn't matter where it is. I mean, you could be, you know, anything from a janitor to a school teacher to, you know, whatever, Gary Hagen doing, doing these really high profile things for the world. It doesn't matter in that place where God has placed you, you know, whether you're, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, um, there is a way for you to do what Paul is calling us to do, to speak these words of life and to be formed in character as the kind of people that can convey the message through our lives themselves. And so uh, there's a, a great Puritan pastor named Joseph Hall. He said this. Listen, I love this quote. God loveth adverbs and cares not how good, but how well. You see? God loves adverbs. He cares not how, like, how good, but how well. Right? So it's not so much how, how high profile the thing is that we're doing or, or how much recognition it's receiving, but is Jesus Christ being honored in the words that we're speaking and the responsibility that we're taking to create a culture of life wherever it is that we're situated? And is our conduct coming to conform with the words that we're speaking? That's what Jesus cares about. That's what God cares about. So um, I am an Anglican, and uh, this is one of our chief resources, the Book of Common Prayer. And I wanted to close our time today 
by praying for us this prayer that is, uh, that is, set, that is set out here in the Book of Common Prayer. It's called a prayer of self-dedication. And as we pray it, I want us to remember, to recall, what it is that is the source of this responsibility that we're called to, this maturity that we're called to. It's this great story that is told in Jesus Christ and this glorious redemption and resurrection and reconciliation that is the goal toward which we're heading. That is the source of it. And now, in this time between the times, I want to pray this prayer for us as we close, that we might be consecrated utterly to God, be self-dedicated to God, and, and to take responsibility in the places where God has set us out. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated unto you. And then use us, we pray you, as you will, and always to your glory and to the welfare of your people, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.